Welcome to Association Rockstars, where you hear about the journey and insights of amazing association executives and partners who are building the association industry of tomorrow. I'm your host, Lowell Applebaum, CEO of Vistacova, where we partner with organizations on strategy and facilitation. It's my absolute pleasure to have with me today, David Falchuk, CAE. David is the executive director of the American Wine Society. He began his career in publishing and transitioned to associations after board experience serving a federal credit union and the American Wine Society, and he also chairs the city of Scranton Board of Ethics. David, welcome. So happy to have you with us. Oh, Lowell, it's absolutely great to be here. It's always great to see you, even though we've never met in person. Hello. Someday, someday it will happen. Uh, little known is uh, David may be executive director of American Wine Society. I have a passion of beer, and we uh, not infrequently will talk about the love somewhere between the two that we can still share. That's right. So spe speaking of, I'm not sure it's going to be a wine superpower, but one of the questions we love to start with is any of our rock stars that we talk to is that one of the things that make you a leader is that you have strengths. And so we'd love just to hear a little bit about one of those, at least what my kids call superpower, right? What's one of your superpowers? What's one of those strengths you have that you has helped you shine on your journey? Well, Lowell, actually, this is a great question, by the way. I love the combination of rock star and superhero in one. I don't think I'm really worthy of that. But, you know, it's a superpower I didn't know I had when I started this job. And I'm going to say firefighter or fire suppressant. Ooh. Yes. And I'm going to tell you why I said that. Um, just, you know, just in general about our organization, the organization has been around a long time, but for most of that time, it was, it functioned rather informally based a lot on, on trust and mm. things like that. And the organization had grown and got more complex over time. And it really didn't have a lot of, you know, the governance infrastructure, maybe a lot of the policies and procedures. And we went through a, a period of time in 19 and 20, where there were just a number of, of crises that happened. Sure. And as these popped up, you know, I, 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 I said it was akin to putting out fires, right? We put out fires. But when I would go back to the leadership team and we would look back on what happened, I would say, well, you know, now we have to think about a fire suppression system, right? And then, I, you know, you never let a crisis go to waste, right? Right. So working with some folks on the board and actually some great people on our team who were, who were off the board, we talked about, you know, we ran counterfactuals. How would this have been different? if we had this, and don't you think if we had this system in place, it would have provided better protection for the organization. And it would have, um, it would have, it would have taken some strain off of the board itself. So, um, you know, I know all of those policies, procedures, and all those committees, they might seem like a burden maybe to right. some of my, my colleagues out there, but I'll tell you, uh, the absence of those kind of structures is sorely, sorely felt when you don't have them and when you need them. So um, I like the firefighter, fire suppression yeah. anal analysis. There was a superhero that did this, but his name was Ash. And I didn't want to use that because by the time everything's Ash, you know. Right. There's what not you, much what are you building from? But, uh, but I'll tell you, it was really a great journey for me. And it got me to really love and appreciate things like governance and systems of accountability and policies and procedures. And I really became a geek on that. And I know you are too. I know it's- I am. This is reason, another reason we're friends, clearly. Right. So I'm curious, do you think you were born as an inherent firefighter, right? Like where, where did you gain the strength? Where did you gain the skill set of recognizing- the embers recognizing crisis 
and recognizing also the need to like learn from that and build the suppression systems that could help going forward. Like what in the journey gave you that? Jeez, you know, Lowell, I wish I knew. I just, I just thought to myself, you know, here we are dealing with this. How can we, how do we stop it from happening? How do we set up a, a system where we stop it from happening again? And um, I think that's just good executive thinking, mm-hmm. right? It's just good executive thinking. You can't spend your time, you can't spend all your time running around dealing with individual issues that are problematic. You yeah. got to start thinking about what's the permanent solution. Do you think there's any moments in your own professional journey when you came to sort of realizations around executive thinking that you're like, all right, either like this is something I have or something I need to grow? I think it's always something I need to grow. I'm still relatively new. I consider myself fairly new to the job. Uh, so I consider myself always growing. I consider myself a Padawan in, uh, in, in pretty much all respects. But I think it's an, it's an example of, of really, uh, well, you know, post-traumatic growth, Lowell. I think the association world is talking a lot about post-traumatic growth. I think yeah. even bad experiences are learning experiences. And I think we have to approach them that way. So when we confront challenges and we address them, you know, they might feel bad in the moment, but we have to realize we're building capacity and abilities going forward. So I think going through that experience really gave me a lot of awareness and competency and appreciation for governance and policies and governance norms and things like that. So in this post-traumatic moment uh, of whatever demic stage this is in, where has your leadership shown you that you've been able to help your own governance, right? Recognize the potentials in this moment coming out of crisis, coming out of all this hard stuff. How's your uh, love of governance helping to help see a positive in the future? Oh, honestly, we have such a great group in place now, Lowell. I'm really just there as a resource and an aid. And I just give out suggestions. I mean, we have a really great team. And yeah. you know, one of the other things that, that we did that we took the opportunity here is, of course, we remember the Race for Relevance book, right? That right. told us that the ideal size of a board of directors is five. And I know a lot of associations were shocked by that because the typical is 17. And um, the whole argument of the authors of this book was that association boards needed to be agile and nimble and responsive to a fast changing world. Well, we already had the benefit of a seven person board. And we had talked about some of the pros and cons and the constraints of that and the positives of that. And I think with the expanded governance infrastructure that we created, we're sort of balancing you know, the best aspects of having a tiny, agile, flexible board with the aspects of what it would be like if, if we had a big board and a fully built out governance infrastructure. And we've done that by taking all of our committees and having a board member, a director as sort of an, a chair or an ex officio member, and yeah. then bringing in people uh, outside of that small leadership group other members up there who have something to contribute. So then they're able to contribute their knowledge and expertise to the whole, to the organization and to the board. And the board gets to focus on its major roles and responsibility at the same time. So we're still kind of new at this. And I'm sure that this is not unique in the association world and other organizations have done this, but it's something that, that, we're, pretty, that we're pretty proud of. And I hope it's something we could share with other organizations in the future. Well, I appreciate you sharing here. It's certainly a model others can learn from. You know, there's a, both in how you frame the role you play, right, that you're almost teeing it up, you're setting the stage, that you're facilitating them. Uh, There's a beautiful underlying premise of partnership there with the volunteer leadership, with the role that you're playing. Uh, That humble approach, right, Uh, is that something that you've brought to every past position or like where do you, you're the number one chief staff executive 
And yet you have this, I love this humble approach with it as well. It's actually could be a, a great place of power to be the architect and not the loud, loud, the voice in the room. How do you find like the relationship forming with your volunteers? I always believed in servant leadership. And you yeah. know, when you're in an association and so when you're in an association, you're in a servant role, you're, you know, you're helping members and serving members. And I think the best type of leader is a leader who takes that approach. Uh, an authoritarian leader is it's that's an oxymoron. Yeah. You're not really leading if you're an authoritarian. You're compelling people to follow you, maybe. So uh, I've always believed in servant leadership and I've always tried to view myself as a as a helper, whether it's you know, giving people volunteer opportunities or helping uh, maybe providing pro providing professional guidance for somebody in the organization or, you know, helping out a committee or the board or somebody on the board. Do you think that servant leadership uh, is something, it sounds like you're saying it's something, especially at this moment in time, many organizations could learn from. Do you think it's something learned? Like, do you think it's something ingrained or something learned? I would call it in between. I would call it something that may, may need to be practiced. It's not just a behavior. I think it's a practice. And I think it's just something you have to, you have to do regularly to, um, to, to, to make it really, to make it part of you. Yeah. You know, one of the things that you said earlier is you felt uh, that your, your journey in the association space is still in its early stages, that you feel like you're still learning and growing. Uh, what, what, do you want, what are you focusing on learning right now, right? As you think about the coming years, what do you think it's most important to focus on from a place of strength and growth and knowledge? Interesting. I think, you know, uh, uh, mastering HR considerations for remote work has mm. been has been big for us. Yeah, I mean, ever yeah. since COVID came on, it was something that I really wanted to embrace, have a good remote work policy and continue to use that remote work policy uh, policy going forward, just because I think it's a new uh, a permanent aspect of the workforce and a sign of the trust and confidence that we need to have in our employees and hopefully get that back from our employees as well. I mean, I'm I am trying to get all the initials. I got CAE. I'm looking at IOM and I'm also looking at, at CMP. I'm looking at certified meeting professional Absolutely. because it's important to my organization. And it's something that frankly, I felt kind of flat. Well, in addition to everything else, I felt flat footed with when I got the job. I mean, you know, going through contracts was something was an aspect of the job that I really didn't understand. But, uh, but CMP is something else that I'm looking at. And it's another great community of professionals. You know, they, I, I'm, I'm a fellow credential lover. Uh, from your perspective, I mean, as someone who's pursuing credentials and sees their worth, do you think in this stage of the game where there's so many differentiated forms of education that credentials have rising importance? Do you think the market's crowded? Where do, where do you see the worth of credentials today? I think the type of credential can be very important. And I think and I think particularly with associations, you can't necessarily, you know, there, 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 I think there might be one or two institutions that offer an association management degree. I think you almost have to look at credentials. And then I think you have to look at where you are in as association executive. And you have to think about, well, how am I going to put the puzzle together and what do I need? And uh, because it's not going to be an academic degree. It's going to be something else. So I think there is a huge audience for credentialing, including micro-credentialing, which I think is going to be on the rise. So uh, credentialing, I think, is, is very important to the association community and something that we need to pay attention to. On your own journey, have you had any mentors along the way that have helped guide and shape anyone that, that stands out that helped 
David get to the place that he is right now in his leadership role? Oh, well, one of my, uh, well, I have a lot of, I, I have a lot of friends being up here in Scranton. I'm not really close to the association community. I am so, resisting so hard making an office reference at this moment. Oh yeah. Scranton clear. is real. Scranton is real. <laughs> and also my name is on the back of the season three box set, but you'll have to go dig it up to find out why. Okay. That's exciting. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I've, I, the association community is such a sharing community. And even, even when I really got involved, my first conference, MMNC conference in Washington in 2016, I mean, everybody was just so welcome and opening. And it's an yeah. element of the association profession that we can never, ever give up because it's so important. And uh, I have relied on, 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 on several people. I would, every time I would see a CAE, I would grab them and I would say, what are your tips for success? How did you do it? What do I need to do? And everybody is willing to talk. Everybody is, is, it will give you a card and say, just reach out to me if you need anything. What did you find in your own CAE journey? You know, a lot of the CAEs we have on talk about like, well, not that the test was great, but the test was, was a hard experience. But the journey to the moment of earning it, we hear people talk about, was your own CAA journey also formative in some way? It was very formative. As a matter of fact, I, <clears throat> when I sat down to take the test and I went through the first, I went through the first 30, I thought, I think I'm, I think I have a false sense of security here. I think I'm really screwing up. And then I went back and I'm like, no, I feel pretty good about these answers. And then I got through the first 100 and I still felt really good about it. And I realized what the CAE journey is all about. You know, hmm. you become a CAE before you sit down for the test. The CAE really, if, if, if you prepare the right way, yeah. you know, you become the CAE, the test is really pro forma. And I realized that I realized when I, when I began taking the test, you know, it's like, you've been a CAE all along, like in a samurai movie or something. I don't know. You know what I mean? I, I like the beauty of that. It was, it was the CAE was in you all along waiting to come out, right? You just had to nurture it. Yes. Good. I like that a lot. In, uh, that dusty, in that dusty testing center in Allentown. Yeah, that's, that's where it happened. We find our magic where we need to. That's right. Uh, you know, what? as you think about going towards the future, uh, no, there's been a lot of shift clearly happening. Any places that you are inspired or excited about the role that you think associations will play for the future? You know what? Um, you know what, Lowell? Um, I think if you take a look at what's happening in our country right now, yeah. and you look at the stark divisions, the contentions in the country, um, I really think that as associations, we have a unique role to play. And, and, a, and a critically important role to play. And I hope that we all come up and meet this challenge. You know, you talk about superpowers, you know, the, one of the real superpowers, and it's a superpower that all of us in association share, it's that power to convene and bring people together. Yes. Now, with what's <laughs> happening today, I don't think that has ever, ever been more important. And you know, Lowell, there are not many professions that are mentioned in the US Constitution. There yeah. aren't many professions that are even alluded to in the Constitution. But one of them is associations. You know, the, the freedom of association is in the Constitution. And I really do believe that the framers wanted to have that ability to associate around ideas or activities or schools of thought, because they knew, they knew that there would be times when we would need that as a nation to hold yeah. everyone together. 
So I think it's an, it's important that that we keep that role in mind and we recognize that as people lose confidence in institution after institution after institution, that we have to preserve our reputation and maintain the confidence of our members and the confidence of the general public. Because, you know, right now what we're doing is very, very important. You know, the, the Constitution is a perfect bridge to where we like to wrap up these conversations, which is around legacy, because clearly, you know, the legacy of associations to be able to go back, uh, at least in North America and the United States, to the founding of the country and seeing what's in there. Let me ask in a more personal note, as you think about far, far in the future after you've earned 10 more credentials and they're no longer fit on your business cards, what do you hope your legacy will be in the association world? In the I could tell you in my association. I'll take it. I'll okay. take it. You know, I think I've been involved in the national leadership, well, now since 2011. Yeah. And I think I've been able to see the association go through one and a half association development curves. Remember, you know, remember that curve? We all remember that curve. The bell curve where the association starts out and it's a period of rapid growth, then maturation, and then it might stagnate and get stodgy and start to decline after it hits its apogee. Right. Now, if we're good and if we're doing what we're supposed to do, we reinvigorate ourselves and we find that one point on the downslide where we slingshot up and then we get to repeat the bell curve again. Yeah. And what I think what I think is happening right now in my organization is I think we're working our way up the bell curve. And I think that uh, that very soon we're going to we're going to get to the point where we're going to need that slingshot again. And when we have to slingshot, I'd like to think that I that I participated in creating this foundation that is really going to allow us, you know, to harness, you know, the energy and the commitment of mission of our members and be able to go through that other slingshot all over again. I love that. Well, I look forward to seeing the cycle of renewal. Uh, you know, we started with fire suppression and we came to a place instead of almost a phoenix rising from the fire. Uh, I, and like I, I love the bookends of that. David, it's been a pleasure to have you on with us today. Thank you. Oh, thanks so much, Lo. It's been great to be here, really. Have a and great thanks, summer. And thanks to Amy uh, for who's been chatting with everyone in social media as well. And thanks to everyone who joined us today or if you're listening to us in replay. As always, Association Rockstars is something that we create together as we learn from these amazing journeys that our peers have gone on. And until next time, Association Rock On.